Hello, this is Dr. Brian McDonough, and welcome to the Dr. Brian McDonough Show. My guest today is Kevin Nagandi, anchor from ESPN. It's a lot of fun right now being a, a Philadelphia sports fan, and, and you don't really get to say that a lot. <laughs> so uh, we're just going to like live in the moment and enjoy each and every day. That's kind of how I've taken the approach, especially with this Eagles team. You have become a very important broadcaster for a number of reasons. First of all, you use social media very well. You're out there. Um, you actually will talk about attending games with your families. It's kind of like a role model for other people who have families. You make it fun. But you also, I know, have reached out to your alma mater, Temple, to help people who are students who kind of want to go on the path to success. Now, clearly, you've achieved great success. But I think you actually, at one point in your life, from what I read, you your parents were saying, you know, we want you to become a doctor. And you're like, but this is what I want to do with broadcasting. And you also felt um, that it was important to have different people from different backgrounds on the air as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my, my parents, I, when, when uh, of being of Indian descent, uh, obviously, like, you know, I, I'm texting my cousin, one of my cousins earlier today, and he's a doctor. And if I have any questions, I have another cousin who's a doctor. Like, so, like, it's in our family. My mom was a nurse. Uh, I've got a handful of uh, aunts that are nurses and a handful of aunts and uncles that are doctors. I knew from the beginning it wasn't for me. Now, my brother, who's uh, seven years older, he he was always fascinated at the dinner table with my mom when she would come home and talk about her day. And, and I was like, I don't want to hear it. I, I don't want I, I, I got to go. Uh, I, I can't. I, I don't have the stomach for this. So my mom knew early on that I had the gift of gab and, and she wanted me to become a, an attorney because anytime I was in trouble, I found my way out of it by talking my way out of it with my mom. And she was just like, you have a way of presenting yourself. And, and my father on, on the other hand, who was an accountant was always like, you're great with numbers. Uh, but I also see something bigger. If you want to go into law and then politics, I, I want you to be the first, you know, Indian American in Congress. And I was like, that's not happening for me either. But but him mentioning first Indian American uh, really stood with me because I think it was a faith that my parents had with me in the beginning where I can do some things if I believe in myself to kind of be a trailblazer. And, and that ties into my experience at Temple you know, giving back and making sure that, you know, when a student reaches out, I'll, I'll do whatever I can to, to, to give back. Because when I was at Temple, I had to seek out a ton of help. First off, originally, Brian, I, I went to Syracuse because I thought I had to go to Syracuse to be the next Bob Costas, right? The next Marv Albert, the next Mike Tarico. And in your mind, you're thinking, I got to go there. And I lasted one semester because I just... It was way too cold for me. Um, my mom told me, you know, she she hammered home Temple, Temple, Temple. And I was kind of against the whole thought process. And it's amazing. She changed the course of my career because um, within two months at Syracuse, I was like, I got to come back. I got to go. I got to go to Temple. Market four at the time, the chance to have opportunities early on um, and experience on my resume. So when I went to Temple, one of the things that was amazing about the program, Betsy Lebron was, uh, you know, running it um, in the communications department was the access to internships. And that gave me the ability to, you know, by the time I'm 20, I'm in the booth with Harry Callis and Whitey Ashburn, right? Two legends where I'm, 
I'm providing stats and information. I'm watching them. You know, one semester I'm with uh, Vaisikahem at Channel 10. One semester I'm at 610 WIP as a producer, and that, that develops into a consistent job. One semester I'm with Gary Papa and Phil Andrews and Scott Palmer at, at Action News. And what, what it did was uh, I built relationships, and all those guys through the years uh, told me, hey, you got to give it back. Uh, we're doing this. We're going out of our way because you're aggressive and you want this. But, like, don't pay us back in any way but by making sure you pass it down. You got to get in studio after one of my uh, sports casts. Just do three minutes. Tape something so you're on the set. You just take our copy. We'll figure everything else out. But what you got to do is make sure you take care of the crew when you get the call. And I said, I got it. We waited months, never bugged them. I get a random call the night of my college graduation where my parents have, you know, 75 Indian uh, family members and friends at our house. And Phil's like, hey, I can get you on the set right after uh, my show. Come down now. I turned to my parents and I was like, guys, I I, got to go. And my parents were so cool. They were like, go, do what you got to do, tape it, come back. We'll have the party still with you. So they had this party without me. I went there and taped everything, bought pizza for the entire crew. And then two days later, I came back and edited my tape for my resume reel, which I put out there three months later. And the guy who helped me edit that is still an EP there in the sports department. So I bring this all back because I'll never forget those opportunities. And I want to make sure I can provide that to to many college kids that run into us and hit us up on, on social media, send us an email you know, and and keeping in touch with them. And, you know, one of the things that I want to make sure people understand too, Brian, is that, you know, we're there to help. We're not there to to do. You've got to show initiative. You got to show that you want to do it. And then it's our pleasure to help. It's our pleasure to say, hey, this is what you may need to do. This is what we suggest. But I'm going to be very uh, open and honest if if I don't like something and I make sure I check everybody who calls me first and say, hey, if you want me to help you, you got to take the criticism. I'm not here to, to, to paint like a, a pretty picture. I'm here to make you better. And uh, that's how it was for me. And that's, you know, 25 years later, I'd like to pass that on to, to college kids with the reality of, hey, I'm here to help, but you've got to do the work and show me what you can do. And then we can help you down the road. But you got to do a lot of the work. People, people think that, you know, you go to uh, you go to ESPN fresh out of college. No, there, there, there's a lot of small stops in you know Kirk, Kirksville, Missouri, and Market 199 in, in Sarasota. Me leaving TV for a year, and, and I always tell people this that if you pull anybody from ESPN, just randomly pick two anchors, their stories will not be the same. And, and you can go through the history of all ESPN anchors. Not one person has the same story as the other person. You cannot think of, hey, I got to do this to get to this to get me here. It doesn't work that way. It's, I got to do this. Maybe I can get to this, build a relationship here. Maybe somebody knows somebody. And then eventually you wake up and you're like, oh, shoot, I'm on the same set with this person who helped me, you know, 10 years ago. So th- there's a lot of, um, it's not an exact science. There's a lot of randomness to it. Mm-hmm. But in the end, I think uh, the people that stick with it, uh, that build relationships that are kind, um, will find a way through the muck 
and come out on the good end on 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 the other side of it. And, and it's it's very much a Shawshank Redemption analogy, right? You you go through a hundred yards and you come out clean. Um, that that's what this business is about. You're going to go through a lot of that in your twenties. How do you manage that? How do you also take care of yourself? And then when you come up for air, you're going to look around and say, I did a lot of things and I met a lot of people. Let me rely on a little bit of that to maybe make, make a phone call. Like you said, Hey, can you, do you know somebody here for this job? You'd be surprised how many people uh, that know somebody that knows somebody that can actually get you through the door. This is amazing. The phone is a, an amazing tool that kids have now that we did not have where this is your media center. It could do literally anything and everything from podcasts to YouTube videos to editing. Um, and I would just say to anybody that's listening here, specifically, learn how to do literally everything. Learn how to shoot. Learn how to edit. Learn how to have interviews. Learn how to be uncomfortable. I would tell uh, you know uh, a sophomore right now in college, go do radio for two hours and call play-by-play because it's two hours of freelancing and anything can happen and you got to figure things out. I would tell any student that wants to get in this business, take an improv class. Be uncomfortable because if you can be uncomfortable then, it'll help you when you're actually uncomfortable on the air. And find a way to challenge yourself. Don't skate by because in the end, you know, TV will expose yourself. You'll eventually get exposed. It's how you're going to handle that exposure when things don't go well. Because things don't go well. And they always don't go well at the, at the biggest moments. How are you going to handle that? I think improv does a really good job. I didn't do that. And I, I look back and I'm like, man, I had to learn through it. I had to understand it. And I, I admire people that I run into that have done a little comedy and aren't funny, but but had to be nervous and on stage. Yeah. And I, I did three years of play by play radio at, at Temple University calling women's basketball games at the local um, radio station that we had there. And it was great for me because you, you're just you're ad living for two straight hours and thinking on your feet, whether you want to do it or not, whether that's your career, it's going to help you down the road in any type of conversation that's uncomfortable. And at the same time, too, Brian, to your point, what you did in that that space there with the O.J. Simpson conversation, you were humanizing something, but you weren't going out of your your element. You weren't you weren't creating something in your own mind for the audience. And, And I think also when we say that, if you don't know, you don't know. That's okay to say that. And but but give them the information that, you know, the facts that, you know. Uh, I, I think too many times people are like, well, I don't know. So I've got to, I've got to create something. And sometimes you then can, that can lead you astray. And then you lose the trust in the relationship you've built with the audience. And it goes out the door and earning that back is not one show. It takes months and years to get back the audience trust. So when I graduated from Temple, I was doing a a high school sports show put together by Temple grads, uh, a production company. It was really, really well done. The Inquirer High School Sports Show that would air literally on Fox 29 right before the Eagles pregame. Okay. And I was making really decent money. uh, Great group of people. I had my own photographer, my own editor, my own producer. And, you know, here I am, a 22-year-old kid going to college classes and then going to do this. And I'm on the air in that market. Wow. And um, 
but I was on only once a week. And I remember telling the, the guys, I was like, hey, listen, I love this opportunity, but uh, after a year, when I graduate, I'm, I'm going to go out in the real world and, and try to get a job uh, on TV. And they're like, why would you do that? Why? Like, I was making, I was making like $23,000 a year and I was working half a year, right? Sure. And, and I was going to go to a job that was going to pay me 15000 in Kirksville, Missouri. And they're like, why would you go to Kirksville, Missouri when you're already in market four? And I said to them, you guys are on once a week and it's a tape show. I said, I need to be on twice a day, five days a week, learning how to be awful. And then learning to get through that awful and then learning how to be an actual sportscaster and, and an anchor and a reporter every single day. And they were like, I just don't get it. And I did it for 13 months and I needed that. And there were multiple people that had stayed on and uh, that, that they were happy and comfortable. But like I needed that uncomfortability for me to grow, to go to that next job at 24 to go to Sarasota. And I tell people that all the time. I was like, you don't want to start in Philly. You don't want to start in a top 30 market. You need to go somewhere small. You need a, you know, your your uh, equipment to malfunction like it did on my first interview. You need bad audio. You need bad graphics. You need like, you know, you need a prompter to go backwards like it did on my debut. Uh, you need all of that, and then you need to create like those moments to understand how to actually figure it all out. Then doing that <clears throat> in a top fifty market where then you're going to be known as the guy that screwed up, and. Um, I tell people that all the time. I was like, in your 20s, or specifically your first job, uh, you want to go to a small market. You want to experience the grind uh, because it's going to help you so much better. Like you talked about in that that one hour of radio where you're like, I've got to figure this out. i got to manage my way through this. And who knows how many people are listening. That's much better than you know 150,000 people listening and then you're figuring it out for the first time. It got really hard for me, wasn't when the heart rate was up and wasn't when I was scared to death. It was when I had done it so much, I had to focus and remember that I was actually out there on the air. <laughs> I actually was like, I got to go home, you know, and balance the checkbook and, oh, am I getting milk? And, it is, and that's in your head as you're talking about something. And it, it was a different level of professionalism. I had to kind of say, come on. They're paying you a good salary. You owe it to people to focus, but it was hard sometimes to do that. Do you ever have issues with that, or do you oh, kind of put yourself in a zone? I, I am I am blown away. You have you have nailed something that um, I've kind of been trying to kind of figure out in the last couple of years. Um, I'm always about growth, right, <laughs> and challenging myself. I'm I am scared of plateauing in anything I do. So it's always finding challenges. Hey, what else is challenging me? And I've come back around and said, okay. So when, you know, when the pandemic hit, I, I looked at this as an opportunity to get back into meditation. I looked at this as an opportunity to get back in shape. So I lost, you know, my wife and I just said, we're not, we're not going to use this as something that's going to hurt us, especially with our three kids at home. And we're figuring this out while we're still working. And I was on TV every day, two to three hour shows every day. How do I stay focused, right? So I went all in on med uh, meditation and we dropped, you know, I dropped 12 pounds because I was working out consistently and all. 
and it was great. And then you find a way you're plateauing again, right? So over the last year, I've gone even more into the meditation uh, aspect of things, specifically before going on the air. The nerves are not the issue. The, the nerves are there because you want to do well. I always tell people nerves, nerves are great because that means you care, right? It's staying focused segment to segment. And that's how I kind of broke it down and live in the moment, stay in the moment. Don't think about the text, put the phone down. Don't look on Twitter, stay focused on what you're doing in this specific a block. Right. You know, I would get texts sometimes, Hey, what are we doing tonight for dinner? The kids did this, did that. And, and at one point I was like, Oh my gosh, uh, where are we in the a block of, of, of a very prominent show? And I've had to realize I got to put this down. Yeah. I got to stay in my lane here on what the show is. And what that means is it's becoming deliberate and vigilant every single day on staying in the moment. And it's really helped me in the last six months on specifically staying in the moment. I do some breathing exercises before going on the air for five minutes. And it has helped me so much on staying in the now than wondering what I'm doing later on the week, what I did earlier today. Um, it has helped me so much on TV uh, make that little uh, jump of staying off the plateau. So I'm glad you brought that up because that is the challenge. The challenge is not the things that we kind of dealt with early in our career. Now it's like, how do I stay locked in the entire time in this moment and stay here? And I've actually done a lot of research of players and athletes struggling with that where you just get bored, right? Uh, it, 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 it's clocking in, clocking out. My job's not like that. So I've got to make sure that I rewire the brain and uh, honestly meditation and staying focused and aware of that is, has helped me immensely over the last uh, couple of years uh, through the pandemic. And now here we are at. What, what, what would you say is, is the most fun? I know we're talking about the Super Bowl this week and stuff. Yeah. Like so um, host like the five years ago doing the Super Bowl, like <laughs> They're in Minnesota, and, you know, my boss at the time, and he's still actually my boss, was just like, hey, I need you to do the Morning Sports Center with Hannah uh, Sunday. And that's a, that's a high, high rate, highly rated show. And I was like, but, like, I want to go to Minnesota. The Eagles are in the Super Bowl. And he's like, you got to figure it out. So, like, obviously, it, it, it grabbed the headlines five years ago. I left the show early. We had to coordinate everything. I had to, you know – I had to catch a, a ride to go to La, uh, LaGuardia and then catch another flight to in Detroit that was then delayed. I landed in Minnesota, you know, right when kickoff. I mean, the Star Spangled Banner was being sung and the national anthem and you're running around and you, you get to the game. And it was just an amazing and wild time. Like, Eagles win. You're celebrating. My phone rings. It's somebody that I know really well. And they're like, hey. Uh, you're going, what, what are you doing right now? I'm like, I'm losing my mind. We just won the Super Bowl. And he's like, uh, meet me here at this location. And then suddenly we're, me and my uh, buddy from Temple, uh, my, my best friend from college, we're, we're at the Eagles post-celebration party. And um, I had a flight to catch to go to, 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 go to <laughs> Providence, Rhode Island, because it was the only way I could catch a flight back close on the East Coast. At 7 a.m., I got back to the hotel room at 3.50. I set my alarm at 4, woke up, <laughs> slept 10 minutes, woke up, caught the flight, and then I Ubered home from uh, Providence, which is, um, you know, 90, 90 miles away. 
So I then get to my house. Uh, my kids come off the, well, my, my uh, oldest at the time is five. He comes off the bus and we just celebrate the win. And then that night uh, I had to call a, a UConn basketball game and then get in the car and drive down to at two in the morning, drive down to South Jersey and meet up with Sal Palantonio because we were hosting the parade. So like all of this was happening in a 72 hour span where you're collecting your breath, and then my dream come true. I'm hosting the Eagles Parade on Broad Street on ESPN. You know, the other amazing, and it's a Philadelphia tie, actually in the same location, the Ben Franklin Parkway. Um, I did the morning sports center the, the day, the night that the Sixers had the number one pick in the draft with Ben Simmons. Okay. And I did the morning sports center, and basically the Sixers said, hey, we have Allen Iverson live, ready for you at 6 o'clock, but we're not going to give him up to anybody. He needs to do the interview with you. And I was like, I appreciate you saying that. Um, okay, so I got my car right after uh, the show ended at noon, drove down, and it was dealing with traffic. I literally parked on the street by the parkway at 5.55, told the cops, Hey, I, I got to leave my car here. And they're like, fine, fine. We get it. We get it. They let me in through security and all this. So I'm, you know, talking to Alan and my producer, in my ear, uh, Lindsay Zarnak was the host of the 6 PM sports center at the time. The producer, in my ear gets in my ear and goes, Hey, I'm giving you three minutes. And, and I told my producer and she was amazing. I said, Hey, listen, I just drove down for four and a half, five hours to get down here. I, I'm not doing a three minute interview with Alan Iverson. Just trust me on this. Just hang with me. Because usually the interviews are two, three, four minutes in that on that one. And now I'm the host of that show in that time frame. I was like, just trust me on this. It's going to be a good interview. Trust me. I know Alan a little bit. Trust me. And she's like, all right. So we start the interview. And the interview's it's going really well. I know a lot about Alan. Alan's just about to get into the Hall of Fame uh, in the next month. I, he's very emotional. Um it was a nine-minute interview. Never heard from my producer once. Wow. Alan hugged me multiple times during the interview. He opened up his heart in the conversation. They're chanting his name. And to me, we, we, we sign off, and the producer was like, that was incredible. And I was like, yeah, because you trusted me. Mm -hmm. I knew the information, and Alan trusted me. And I knew that we were going to get the real Allen Iverson in this interview. And I thought that was so important for the national audience to see this was the real genuine Allen Iverson that Philadelphia loves for a reason. And so when, when you can present that and you could put, I think, the city in a, a fantastic light, Brian, uh, that to me is, is the best thing um, I could have ever dreamed of doing and providing as, uh, you know, uh, an ESPN host that represents Philadelphia. Well, and it really ties up the entire conversation, what you're talking about. Like, you wouldn't have had that moment if you hadn't been prepared to do things live, if you hadn't had the learning curve. You wouldn't have had Allen Iverson treat you that way if he didn't trust and respect you for being honest. Your producer, the people back, wouldn't have trusted you to give yep. you that leeway. I mean, you really think about it, you, you, you get paid back for what you put in. And that's kind oh. of saying at the start it all comes back to you you know in the end um i know i'm ruining a podcast by dating it because it'll be out there for god knows forever but 
what do you think about the Super Bowl? What's what's your prediction before we go? No, I, I, I'm actually really a little nervous how calm I've been about it, especially when you got number 15 on the other side and Patrick Mahomes. I do think two things. It, Jalen Hurts' shoulder is not right. Um, he's even indicated he's been dealing with it. The question is how accurate can he be with the deep ball? Because he wants to throw the deep ball, and he hasn't been accurate that we've seen in the playoffs since the shoulder injury in the middle of December against the Bears. So my, my concern is this. If, if Hurts can't make the throw down deep, the Eagles are going to have a tough time. If he can, because that secondary is really young. If Hurts can make that throw early in that first half and keep the defense honest, the Eagles can have a, a, a really good time on offense in putting up points. And that is the A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, exploiting it 20-plus yards. The second thing, the Chiefs are really banged up at wide receiver. The biggest thing, and anybody that knows Andy Reid, and obviously Andy Reid is a well-deserved legend in Philadelphia for what he has done. Best coach of all time in Eagles history, considering the consistency that he had. Allen, lo- I mean, uh, Andy loves the screen. McKinnon and Pacheco will have big games early on because I think what Mahomes is going to do is four or five-yard pass. will go after basically the speed rushers, offset them, and then dump this. I think McKinnon's going to have potentially 10 targets in this game. And if the Eagles can contain him under 60 yards in receiving, the Eagles' defense is going to be a nightmare for uh, Mahomes because Mahomes doesn't have an outlet aside from Travis Kelsey, when it comes to wide receivers and their health down the field. So it comes down to can they control the, the running backs? So with all of that, um, I, I think the Eagles will win this one by four points. This is great. Well, wait, and now somebody's going to watch this in a year and a half ago. Oh, this is a Gandhi guy. What, what's he think? But I, I think your analysis is, is is fantastic. You know, the only other thing I'd say is I'm just counting on Andy Reid somewhere to mismanage the clock somewhere. Yes, yes. I'm yep. hoping he doesn't have a timeout left or he has to happen that just for poetic justice for Philadelphia. Right. You know, you know, it's coming down to the final drive with Mahomes. We all know it. it it's just a question of what's the score and where they are. It, 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 we all know it's going to happen. And then I love that you had that little, little layer there. How does Andy handle that? How many timeouts does he actually have on that final drive? <laughs> It's crazy. That's part of being part of Philly. You got this family doc who's talking intense football. I don't know what I know, but anyway, thank you so much, Kevin. This was a lot of fun, and I think people really enjoy it. And most importantly, hopefully it helps out um, people going into broadcasting or thinking about it, because I know there's a lot of appeal. You know, people will see what you're doing, and you're having fun, and tell them a little bit of the reality that it is work yes <laughs> and let them know a lot of those five-hour drives and getting up in the morning at those things but <laughs> brian i appreciate that thank you so much uh, honestly like uh this is a great forum continue to do what you do you're really helping a lot of people out there thank you kevin have a great day